Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for listening to Victoriously Broken. I am your host, Invincible, and this safe space was created for anyone who has been broken to share their testimonies, to encourage and uplift others. Today's episode is titled Sit Through My Pain. And here to talk with us today is a writer and business owner, Leslie McGraw. Welcome, Leslie. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) It feels so good to finally have you on. Thank you so much. So you know how sometimes in order for us to receive God's blessings, I feel like we have to sit through our pain, right? Mm -hmm. And during my season, as you all know, of my end-stage renal failure, that was when I myself started to lean more on God because I wanted to understand and know why, right? Like, why was this happening? What was my purpose in life? Because I was like, this can't be it, right? This cannot be my end. So I took my first trip around the Bible from beginning to end. And that was when I came across uh, Joseph's story. And I love his story. I instantly connected with his story. And if you're unfamiliar with it, I'm gonna give you the cliff notes. All right, so he was sold into slavery by his brothers. Then he was thrown into jail, all because he wouldn't sleep with his master's wife. When he was in jail, he interpreted two of the prisoners' dreams. And when they left, he was like, hey, don't forget about me. Let them know I'm, I'm in here. And the dreams he interpreted came true. And they indeed forgot about him. So he was left there for a few more years. But then his time to take his rightful place end up coming when the Pharaoh had these dreams and no one could interpret them. And so his cupbearer, which was the to one of the two prisoners, right, remembered Joseph and what he did for him. And that was when Joseph took his rightful place next to Pharaoh, right? And I'm just thinking like, I can't imagine going through all those hardships and still believing and trusting God because that's exactly what he did, right? Like, I know for me, sometimes for the first side of trouble or pain, sometimes we get mad at God, we walk away from God, we give up on God. I know I have, but it's like Joseph didn't. He really stayed faithful during the struggle. Because no matter what the situation he was facing, God was still with him. He thrived in all his storms that was sent to break him. So I started thinking, hmm, there might be a point to this, right? Me not being able to walk and do my normal activities. I couldn't see it at first and it took me some time. But the more I kept digging into God's words, the more he revealed to me, right? Because I believe that when you're being still in the moment and allowing yourself to feel the emotions and pain from situations that don't have a quick or immediate fix, it allows us to release the trauma from our body. You know what I mean? I absolutely do. Reflecting on being a witness to uh, your renal failure me thinking that you know you're so young and vibrant and it seemed to come out of nowhere and being very concerned about what would what would your future look like you know and I'm very um into miracles and I feel like my faith is pretty strong but I still was wondering like you know what will what will life look like 
And I'm pleasantly, pleasantly <laughs> surprised. <that. laughs> Just as much a mess as ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing's changed on that front. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and enjoy and enjoying the the added um, wisdom and maturity that um, that you've gained through the last years too in developing our own relationship. You know, mm-hmm. so so that that makes me happy. I know that I went through my own hodge. I went through a 12 year hodge mm. of, of connecting with my emotions in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm pro therapy. I went to my first therapy. I was nine years old <laughs> because I stuttered. Okay. And was having trouble adjusting at a, at a new school. I didn't really connect to the therapy. I just was somebody to talk to here or there, but as a child, I always was very sensitive. Like the um, something as simple as playing the dozens would, you know, shut me down. <laughs> you uh, know, like that kind of yes, stuff. I never liked yes. that kind of stuff. I hated that game. <laughs> I was never good at it myself because there's truth that comes out of them dozens. Okay, like this ain't just playing. We ain't playing around. You telling some exactly. truth? Exactly. <laughs> right. And if I say what I want to say, then I feel like I hurt somebody's feelings. <laughs> yes, because then they'd be like, you took it too far. I'd be like, hey, hey, you started it. I was never good at that game. Because again, <laughs> there's some truth that's going to come out and you're not going to like right. it. I know I'm not. <laughs> right. So the beginning of this change in the way that I viewed my own emotions as triggers and not as things to hold me back was the 9-11 Twin Towers attack. So I was in my early 20s and just started very recently my adult job, like a full-time gig. And I had Mm -hmm. um, a child. I was, you know, living the adult life, the real adult life, as they say. And when I saw that, it crushed me. But what was different about other trauma and other painful events that had happened in my past it seemed very corporate, like everybody, mm-hmm. everybody felt that pain. My coworkers were grieving. I had um, two good friends that had loved ones in the towers. And for about two days, and depending on who they were, sometimes three, there was no cell phone uh, correspondence. So uh-huh. a lot of people that had loved ones in the towers, that's what, you know, know if they didn't have a way to get to anyone, mm-hmm. you didn't know if your loved one was killed, hurt, alive, anything for mm-hmm. up to two, sometimes three days. And so in both instances, the family members of these two friends were found alive and they were okay. And they're, and they're still alive for, for okay. that matter. Okay. But for two days, they written no. Yeah. And so, and so I got really attached to this situation, even though I didn't have a personal friend there or personal family member. And I was just watching the news constantly. And, and, and I was wondering why am I so taken and so wrapped up in this? And it started to bring about some of my own hurts and pains. And I said, ah, I get it because this is the first time it feels like it's been sanctioned for me to be in pain, that it's okay mm-hmm. to cry. It's a, I could literally go to my boss and say, 
I'm having a hard day and um, I need to leave a couple hours early. Because uh-huh. that was one of the things that in my job they did because they knew so many people were hurting. Yeah. Um, so people were able to like take mental health hours. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so that was, um, and I started journaling about how I was feeling. So what I realized was my early journals, like as a child and young adult, my journals were more like uh, an account of events. This happened, that happened, this happened, that happened. Mm-hmm. or I'm sad, you know, but this was more a little bit deeper and I allowed myself to have whatever emotion came up mm. or whatever thing was happening in my body. Say that so again. The, I don't think they heard you say that part again. So I began and I said began because it wasn't immediate or it didn't happen overnight, but I began to allow myself to feel whatever was happening inside. Mm-hmm. So if I felt hurt, I allowed myself to feel hurt. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to lash out behind that hurt or go tell the person I was hurt, but I allowed myself to feel that hurt. Yeah. If I had pain, you know, I was taught to shake it off, you know, coming up, I was groomed to shake it off and keep yes. moving. I yes. allowed myself, like, I just dropped a hammer. I dropped a hammer on my toe. This really happened. And I was told to shake it off, but uh-huh as a child. Mm. <laughs> and so, so as an adult, at this point, I started to say, you know, I'm feeling pain in my stomach. Or I'm, yeah. and, I, and I would describe it. And I just thought about something too. So it's part of that journaling and thinking and being conscious about what exactly I was feeling yeah. actually helped me health-wise too. Yeah. Because when I went to my doctor, I didn't just have, I just didn't tell the person about what was acutely happening, but like, I've been having frequent stomach aches. Yes. I've been having this, that, and yes. you were releasing the trauma from your body. That is huge. That's one thing I'm learning from my therapist, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's different stages of this, you know? So mm-hmm. yes, yes. Shed that, <laughs> let that go. Yeah. And, and it's not, it hasn't been linear. It hasn't been like, Oh, I was, you know, in 2002, I was 10% better and I'm at 100%. No, it's been times that I've regressed, you know. So in about six years ago, I was in, in that place again where I just had so much going on that I felt like I don't have time for emotions. I don't have time. If I don't feel good, I just got to push through. You know, mm-hmm. if somebody asked me, how are you doing? I'd say, great. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter, no matter what was going on, I'm great. Or into the cliche that sometimes come out of the black church, blessed and highly favored. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but and, I also feel like that stems from people just ask because we're robots at times. You yes. generally don't care how I'm doing because let me respond with, I feel like crap. You're going to be like, uh, okay, get, I hope you feel better. You know, it's not, again, you really don't care how I'm doing. It's just robots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when I noticed, when I started saying, I'm feeling like this, like, um, and I didn't go, it didn't mean that I had to take them all the way through my whole childhood and stuff, but just if I started being more intentional, someone said, how are you doing? It's not too bad. 
or something my grandmother would say, I'm pretty fair for a square. (laughs) (laughs) Fair to Midland. (laughs) Yes, fair to Midland. That's the one I hear all the time. Yes. And I'm like, where is Midland? (laughs) (laughs) So I'll just say something like that. So, you know, it's not the best, but I'm okay. Yes. I'm, and also I, I started reading about, I don't know, I think it was after Robin Williams passed away. I started reading about all these people that had committed suicide mm. and having very hyper positive interactions before they committed suicide. What? Yeah. So if you had talked with, you know, Robin Williams or, the, or um, before he died, he seemed better than ever. Because it, it's almost like they mask their pain. So this is why I think it's like super unhealthy to mask. Yeah. And I also pain. feel like he was accepting, right? Because from my own experience about suicide, suicide isn't a thought that just happens and you do it. Right. It's a thought that is lingering for so long. It is a thought that is with you on constant. It is a battle thought every single day. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I feel like when you get to that point, you're almost like accepting I'm ready. Mm-hmm. My thought mm-hmm. finally won. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So, so sitting with your pain, it's not fun. It's like a, it's its own pain, right? Girl. <laughs> yes. You know, like if, if I was to walk right out here into the park and I saw someone that I considered a friend and they came up and kicked me okay let's pretend like I wouldn't react right but <laughs> if, I, if I'm just saying they kicked me and there's nothing I could do about it there would be the pain the physical pain but there also be the pain of betrayal from a friend right which is its own pain yeah. right <laughs> and so I think that's part of the nuance of it all is that you kind of Accepting the pain feels like you're saying it's okay, but now I understand, I'm getting to the understanding, it doesn't mean that you accept the pain. It doesn't mean that you accept what happened to you. It doesn't mean that you accept the behavior. Yes. Yes. It's acknowledging it. Yes. And knowing it's okay to feel exactly however that situation made you feel. Mm -hmm. Don't let anyone ever tell you how you should feel or how you should react. I hate Mm -hmm. when people tell me that. No, no, and no. It is okay Mm -hmm. for me to feel how I feel. And I also feel like we shouldn't look for other people to validate our feelings. Amen. That's, that's it. You know what I mean? Like, this is how I feel and and it's okay. I really wanted to piggyback on that when you say waiting for other people to validate your pain. I think we're in a place of, especially in the wake of COVID and, you know, the uh, George Floyd awakening that happened for a lot of this country Mm -hmm. is we're in this place of uh, trauma porn where you can't just say like, I'm hurting. They want to know how you're hurting, how bad it was, who did it to you. Like they want to know all the details. Yes. So they can validate like, oh, that really was bad. <laughs> you yes. really should feel sad. Yes. 
<laughs> yes, because oh, if I if that was me, I would feel the same way. So yeah, you're right to feel that way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so people are spewing more and more of what led them to their depression or what led them to feel sad. Yes. And there is some merit to that because it, you know, there's affinity and people find community. But I think as an empath, I've learned to not need that from people. Mm. And so I learned to show empathy toward others long before I learned to show empathy for myself. Okay. So when you say you learn, how is that something that you learned or how is that something you taught yourself to do? Well, first of all, from the people that, that nurtured me. So the people that I look up to. So I have an aunt, my dad's sister. When I was a little girl, her neighbor who had, uh, the neighbor's son, I should say he was a young adult, had been having a lot of mental health issues and a lot of drug issues. And he was out of control and they tried to get help and we just had no help. And her daughter was saying, I want to move mommy. But she didn't know what to do. And she, you know, a lot of people don't know about mental illness. Anyways, it's not just mental illness. There's some other things going on. When you add the drugs and you add mm-hmm. um, hallucinogens and all of that. So, um, cause I don't want to, I don't want to add to mental health stigma at all. So he came over while she was out and killed three or four, four children. What? Hold on. What? Yeah. So the, the one that didn't, that wasn't killed my my cousin he actually was only saved because he he stopped and was so shocked hit under the bed so no one was home just the kids were home well the oldest child was 14 oh my lord which is you know more than an old enough to to watch younger siblings yeah so you know this might be taking us too far of course but but so I watched how she handled that situation and I wasn't asking her questions. In fact, I didn't even talk about it. I heard conversations between her and her mom, her and my mom on the phone, eavesdropping, you know, ear hustling. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Later I was spoken with her and she is an example of somebody. I saw her hurting so much and still have an empathy because she reached out to her neighbors, Mm. the parents of this person who had Mm. become inhumane because she recognized that although she lost her children, they lost their only child too. Oh, wow. That is true. And I would have never thought about that. I would have been too stuck in my own pain and my own hurt because of my own children, not thinking about the other person. And that is amazing. Mm. Because their son was given the death penalty. Wow. I mean, not like they're friends, but she had enough empathy to reach out and to just give them love and a word of encouragement. Wow, that is beautiful and amazing. Her spirit is just beautiful. That, wow. But, you know, this has now been uh, probably 34, 35 years ago, and it's still painful for her. It's always painful. Yeah, as recently... As two months ago, she and I had a long conversation about all of the events around that. And I'm going to tell you what, she's not a solemn person. She's not a sad person. Most people, if you were to meet her and you guys spent the weekend together, you would never know she had lost three children. 
And so that is, um, as they say, as when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I was feeling caught recently because there are a couple of things in my life okay. are like huge weights on my life and yeah. causing a lot of pain. But then there's all these good things going on. Things are really going well with my business. Things are going well with my family. You know, I'm feeling a weight of depression lifting off of me. It felt inauthentic to say I'm doing well if there's still this pain. Yes. Or somebody very, very close to me is still really in trauma right now. And you feel bad for having all this good stuff going on while somebody else is suffering. Oh, yes, I can I, I can vouch for that because that recently happened to me. See, and, the, and I feel like those years of sitting in my pain, now mind you, I wasn't just sitting, but, you know, allowing myself to feel pain. Right. I'm Now I can really receive and openly, openly experience joy in a different way too. Yes, that's very, very important. So Leslie, I want to thank you so, so much for joining us today. It means a lot to me that you stepped in and shared your story and your testimony and how God has been working through your life. And in the words of the great poet Abyss, this life isn't for me, it's for you. God gave me gray skies so yours can be blue. And if you would like to share your story, your testimony, please feel free to email me at victoriouslybroken at gmail.com. Until next time, peace and blessings.